Were two men kidnapped and paraded around as Martians? The internet says it's true. Hey! Hi! Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. Thank you for tuning in again this week. We've got a lot of new listeners to the show now, which is fantastic. I'm happy to have you here. NPR listed us as a recommended podcast in their editor's picks on the NPR app. So we have quite a few people who found the show thanks to that. I love being part of the NPR One app and WCBE, Columbus, Ohio's oldest NPR station, and their podcast experience. Today's episode is a story about exploitation and power, and it's not necessarily a happy story, but it's one that's important to tell. We're going to tell the sad story of George and Willie Muse. Before we get into that, I want to share with you something interesting. This was a comment on Reddit. Someone listened to episode 125 two weeks ago, and that was the one where I wrote the entire episode using ChatGPT artificial intelligence. They asked ChatGPT to write a review of the podcast. Again, this is artificial intelligence writing this. It says, quote, ChatGPT, our new robot overlords, is an interesting and thought-provoking podcast that explores the topic of advanced AI and its potential implications. The episode delves into the capabilities of OpenAI's ChatGPT program and raises important questions about the harms and pitfalls of this technology. The host does a good job of keeping the conversation engaging, and the addition of comedian, writer, and magician Matt Donnelly adds a fun element to the episode. Overall, it's a well-produced and informative podcast that's worth a listen for those interested in AI and its impact on society. End quote. Holy cow. Uh, absolutely amazing. Now, think about things like Amazon reviews and how this could impact those. Uh, that's just nuts. I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you with the support of our sponsors and our tizziters. You can sign up to be a tizziter at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. And when you do that, there's a whole list of fun stuff that gives you that it gives you access to. But the real reason to join is just to support this podcast and show that you appreciate these stories and these episodes. It's my hope that I give you something to talk about with your friends. And with that said, the next time the topic of the circus comes up, you can tell them this story. If we're going to do a podcast about exploitation in the circus, it's really too much for a single episode. We could do a story about the exploitation of animals, but that's not what this story is. We could talk about the exploitation of little people. We could talk about a whole list of things. But this episode is about one story, and even that story could be its own 10-part series. So before we get into that, I want to suggest that if you want to read the story in incredible detail, there and, and there's trust me, there's a lot that's fascinating about this. Read the book True Vine by Beth Macy. And Beth Macy is actually from my hometown of Urbana, Ohio. And I didn't know about this connection until I started researching this week. I tried to get in touch with her without success. But if you want to get into this in detail, that book is a great place to start. And I believe they've even optioned it for a film. My overview here is just that. It's an overview of the story. I also want to add a couple disclaimers. I have friends who have spent their lives studying and loving the circus. I don't mean for this episode to disparage the circus. This is just one ugly part of its history. And there are many parts that are beautiful and wonderful. And I acknowledge that this is an institution that provided joy and wonder to people all over the world for a very long time. I also want to talk about the word freak. 
It's obviously a harmful term, and I want to assure you that I'm using it in the historical context of what these people were called at the time and not meant in a disparaging way. So with that said, imagine this. It was 1914 and the circus comes to town. The sideshow tent boasted a sign that said, Ambassadors from Mars, and the nice people from that town were intrigued. They paid for a ticket to see the men from Mars and a group of other so-called freaks. They heard the barker outside describing the act. They're here, ladies and gents, the ambassadors from Mars. This is not a motion picture, they're in the flesh. Here for your inspection, white of skin, long of hair, and believe me when I say, their eyes are pink. Hairy monsters from Mars, don't crowd please. I know you want to see them, but please keep the aisles open. Three, you say? Dollar five. Here they are, hairy, horrible, astounding, inhuman monsters. They've been featured before all the crowned heads of Europe. Step right up. That was the actual text of the Barker's speech for Eco and Ico, the ambassadors from Mars. They'd also sometimes be billed as the sheep-headed men, cannibals from Ecuador, or the original monkey men. In one story, they were discovered in a raft drifting off the coast of Madagascar. But Eco and Ico were really George and Willie Muse, two black men born with albinism, a rare genetic expression that robbed them of the pigment in their skin and hair. Their hair was naturally blonde. Their eyes appeared pink. The story starts in 1899. George and Willie, who were just six and nine years old, were working in a field in Truvine, Virginia. Truvine was a small rural community of tobacco farms southeast of Roanoke. They were free men, the grandsons of enslaved people, but were put to work sharecropping from a young age. Their job was to find and exterminate the bugs on tobacco plants. Working in the fields was difficult for these boys. Their albinism gave them an eye condition that made them sensitive to the sun. And even as children, they had permanent furrows on their foreheads from constant squinting. They lived on the farm with their mother Harriet, their father Cable, and three other siblings. And that year, in 1899, everything changed. The story varies, and it depends on whose account you believe. But through some means, whether Harriet agreed for them to go temporarily or they were taken without their permission, George and Willie were picked up from the field by a man in the circus business. The dominant story seems to be that Harriet went to the house to get some farming tool and she came back and they were gone. His name was Robert Stokes and he was the man responsible for taking the boys from the field, allegedly using candy to lure them away. Eventually, the boys were under the control of a man named James Candy Shelton, who wanted to display them in the freak show. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, freak shows were a large part of circus sideshows. Humans have always been curious to peek in on the bizarre, the strange, and sometimes those who just look different than the rest of us. There was a time that the World's Fair and even some zoos would have human zoo exhibits, in which Africans had been kidnapped and displayed, made to live outdoors as onlookers would gawk at this showing of so-called primitive life. The same was done with Native Americans. Circuses got in on this brand of exploitation. In 1880, famous circus owner P.T. Barnum displayed two Ohioans born with dwarfism as, quote, the wild men from Borneo. As most people had never met a little person, it was easy for them to suspend their disbelief and 
buy into these crazy stories about the so-called freaks on display. Siamese twins, fat ladies, dogmen, all people who looked different and thus were billed as freaks to small town after small town. Most of these people were hardly paid, if at all. They were given a traveling home, meals, and a new family, that being the other so-called freaks on the sideshow. One exception was a man born with a pituitary gland condition, Charles Stratton. He grew up to be only 25 inches tall, and Barnum dressed him in a Napoleon uniform and showed him around the world as General Tom Thumb. He was seen as so valuable to Barnum that he was paid incredibly well, making Tom Thumb a millionaire before he squandered the money away. George and Willie, however, Eco and Ico as he called them, were a different story. They weren't being properly compensated for their time away from home. In fact, they were lied to and told their parents had died. They were displayed in the circus sideshow and people paid to stare. Sometimes they were simply displayed for their unusual appearance. Sometimes their handlers forced them to bite the heads off snakes or eat raw meat to complete this illusion. Other times, they sang and played music. Strangely enough, these brothers, now young men, could play any song you asked for and were often known to play the song It's a Long Way to Tipperary. They were given elaborate matching costumes and had their bright hair matted into dreadlocks. Sometime in the mid-1920s, the brothers were sold to the Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus and became incredibly popular. They literally traveled around the world performing for several heads of state, kings and queens. This was now the only life they knew, and it beat working in the field in the sun, something that was incredibly difficult for people sensitive to the sun because of their albinism. From 1914 until 1927, they had become world famous without getting paid world famous salaries. But in 1927, their lives would be changed. We'll talk about that after a quick break. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. 
Hi, this is Sue Foley, inviting you to listen to Music Journeys. Hear local and national artists share how the love of music began and what inspired their latest project. Mike Foley blends it all together with some music. Now, you can't believe him if he says he's related to me and inherited my musical talent, but you can be sure that other Foley will deliver a worthwhile listening experience, too. Listen to Music Journeys Saturday mornings at 11.30 on WCBE and in the podcast experience at WCBE.org. George and Willie Muse had been traveling around the world and displayed as circus oddities for more than a decade. They'd been told their parents were no longer living, and they'd been exploited, underpaid and lied to while people paid money to stare and laugh at their appearance. They were bringing in as much as $32,000 a day and just being paid pennies. P.T. Barnum had been displaying them in matching fancy suits with a sash, calling them Eco and Ico, ambassadors from Mars. And one day in 1927, the circus took them to Roanoke, near the field from which they were snatched as boys. It was their first time back in the area in 13 years. The crowd inside the tent was full, and as the boys were playing their favorite song, It's a Long Way to Tipperary, a woman pushed her way forward through the crowd, yelling out to them. George noticed her first. He stopped playing and said to his brother, There's our dear old mother. Look, Willie, she's not dead. It turns out, while George and Willie were touring the world with the circus, Harriet had never stopped looking for them. She had an idea that they were with a circus, but didn't know where or with whom. She bought tickets to this circus when it came into town on the off chance that she'd see them. The announcer of the sideshow was visibly unhappy. The brothers ran forward and embraced their mother. The illusion of the men from Mars was being shattered in front of the eyes of the onlookers. Harriet didn't care. The tent was silent as it watched her grab her boys and run them out of the tent. George and Willie went home with their mother for the first time since they were young boys. They sat in the house, shoulders slumped. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Locals started coming through the house to see the boys. They would be dropping coins into a tin cup to see them. They were living the same existence as in the sideshow, but now in a house with their mother. The city soon put a stop to it. The newspaper reported that a high-ranking official stated, quote, Roanoke is in no need of any ambassadors from Mars, end quote. The circus sent police to the home. They claimed that the boys were their property, which is quite a disgusting claim to make about some people who were only two generations away from slavery. Ringling claimed that Harriet was depriving the circus of two valuable earners with legally binding contracts. This is where Harriet began a series of lawsuits to try to argue that her sons were being exploited. She took on the Ringlings, who were multimillionaires, in an era where black people in the South who spoke up against power were still being lynched. While the legal battles dragged on, the Muse brothers returned to and continued traveling with the circus. Finally, Harriet was successful. She sued for back pay and fair wages for her sons, and she got that for them. It could be argued that perhaps the circus may have been a better place for them. This was all they knew, and in the circus, they were safe. Safe from working fields in the Virginia sun, safe from lynchings. And because of those efforts, George and Willie were able to get Harriet a new house. They were able to pay for her health care. And when she died of a heart attack in 1942, they paid for a funeral and paid off her debts. 
George and Willie retired from the circus in the mid-1950s and loved telling locals the amazing stories of their travels around the world. George died of heart failure in 1972, but Willie lived until 2001. When he died, he was 108 years old. We'll leave you with a recording of Willie as an old man singing that song that made Iko and Iko famous in a bygone time. It's a long way to Tipperary, it's a long way to go. It's a long way to Tipperary, to the sweetest girl I know. Goodbye, my piccolele, farewell us to square. It's a long, long way to Tipperary, but my heart right there. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling comedian Lisa Berry. Lisa is a comedian, performer, and sketch writer whose sketches have appeared on BuzzFeed, Hoo Ha Ha, and Funny or Die. She's also one of the founding producers of Seabus Comedy. Um, I had a blast doing a show with Seabus Comedy. It wasn't that long ago. Um, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, it's it is the year's off to a great start. I'm excited. Things are happening, um, and you've been it's producing. Weather, but yeah. the weather sucks. I mean, yeah. it's been gloomy every day for like three months here in Ohio. Yeah, I you know I actually I have a, a coworker who is originally from India, and then she moved to Arizona, and she was really excited when they moved to Ohio because she had never seen snow before, and she was so excited she like thought it was going to be a Hallmark movie every day. And then she moved here and she's like, oh, no, it's actually just gray and gross. Yeah. Like, yes, that's Ohio winter. <laughs> there are a couple days every once in a while where you get that beautiful blue sky and then the snow on the ground. And, and uh, I think I feel like Christmas was that way this year. But I yeah, I agree. But oh, my gosh, this whatever we've got going on now is awful. It's horrible. I'm ready for I use a mood light on my desk. You know, I have one of those <laughs> mood lights and I feel like it really I don't know if it helps. But it, it it's even if it's a placebo, it helps. Even uh, if yeah. it's like a, yeah. The problem is my skepticism overrides the placebo effect. <laughs> so it's like if I turn it on, I'm like, this doesn't work. As I'm turning it on, it doesn't do <laughs> right. anything. So I know. I, I'm the same way. I feel like I just get so skeptical that I'm like, I this doesn't so then I feel like I get so skeptical that it's I have like a reverse placebo effect. I feel like things that actually should work, I convince myself they don't and then they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stop taking my heart medicine because I feel because yeah, I feel yeah. horrible. <laughs> this cheeseburger will work, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so what's the latest with Seabus Comedy? Uh, I know you're doing the shows in Hilliard at the station, um, and what is that? The first Thursday or no? When when are those? Shows? Last, yes, so those are always the last Thursday of every last month Thursday. at the station. The February show, the last. I think. Let me check actually my calendar. So the last. Thursday in February is going to be the 23rd. We actually have Eric Tate headlining. So I think I that'll be a Eric fun show. Tate. Eric yeah. Tate, world champion, third yes. place world champion, magician and comedian. Um, that's exciting. I wonder if I'll be around to, to be able to watch that. What's the date on that? It's February 23rd. 23rd. Um, ooh, no, I have a show. Never mind. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I have a corporate event that night. 
Uh, well, so go. since the people watching this can't be at the corporate event, they can all come and watch Eric Tate. Go to Hilliard, Ohio, if you're in, you know, the Midwest, and it's worth it. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a great bar. And downtown Hilliard is kind of a cool spot, too. Um, before and it after is. the it's show, sort of, just go across the street over to the what we call the Dora. A lot of places have Doras. But we have Crooked Can, which is like a brewery with an outdoor seating area and a little market. It's a great little area. Well, it is. It's fun. So for our first question today, um, like usual, we're going to play for a joke, just a street joke or whatever. So if you get it wrong, you have to tell me a joke. And if you get it right, I'll tell you one. Here is your question. Eco and Ico, the ambassadors from Mars, were real men displayed in the freak show in the circus in the early 20th century. Which one of these describes who these men really were? A, they were albino black men who were stolen from their home. B, they were Siamese twins from China. Or C, they were little people. I feel like I this is hard. I understood these are all, all of the words plausible. in the question, but I don't feel like I even understood all of those words to get like I don't yeah. quite understand the question. So these um, so basically these two people were um, displayed as ambassadors from Mars and called Eco and Ico. But the truth is that they were either albino black men stolen from home, Siamese twins brought from China, or little people. I am going to guess A. I'm going to go with A. A. The albino black men that were stolen from home? Yes. The answer is A. They were albino black men. They were stolen from their home. You got that one right. Um, this entire episode was about that. And I found that there was this book, uh, True Vine, written by Beth Macy, who is from Urbana, Ohio, where I grew up. Yeah, oh, and I found that cool. out like in the research of this. I didn't know this, and I tried to contact her. Didn't he get in touch? But... Um, <laughs> It's a crazy story. It's a crazy story. Yeah, it sounds the, like a crazy story. And it really, I think they've optioned Truvine for a movie. Truvine is the name of the community where they were stolen from. But uh, oh. I think they've optioned it for a movie. The craziest part of it, uh, in my opinion, is that the mother, now we're talking, this was 1927. There were still okay. lynchings happening. Their mother, a black woman, rescued them from the circus. Like she showed really? up. Yeah, she showed up and said, you know, F you guys, I'm taking my sons back. And then there were years of legal battles in order to get these guys paid. And she won and she got them paid. And wow, she's up, a badass. Yeah, Is absolutely. the movie going to be about her? I bet it, well, it would be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it has yeah. to be right. That has to be because yeah. she never stopped it, looking for them. Oh, my gosh. That sounds like an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, yeah. I didn't get a chance. You know, the, I, I stumbled on this story last week and I didn't get a chance to like read this book yet. Um, but I'm really yeah. excited because I've read excerpts and I've read a ton on the story in the last week. And there, it's just a it's an amazing, amazing story of exploitation and perseverance. Yeah. And there's some sadness to it. You know, it, home life was not good for them. Right. They, these guys have no pigment in their skin and they're out working in tobacco fields. And then um, even when the mother rescued them, she was like charging neighbors to come and see them. So. There's some of it that's kind of gross. And if I'm writing that movie, I'm skipping that part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like, yeah, that, that fights against, you the, know, probably the reality of the time. Maybe that was the best option for them. But in 2022, we can probably skip that part of the story. Right. Yeah. And their 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 father drove 
vehicles somehow. I don't know if he drove a wagon or whatever he drove, but he stayed home from work because his, these kids were getting paid now. Um, you know, and, and they ended up going back to the circus, but they got paid. And so they were able to buy their mother a home. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it ends, it ends more, it ends less sad than the, than the actual story. I owe you a joke. So, uh, here's a joke about the circus. Did you hear about the guy who circumcised elephants for the circus? (laughs) No, (laughs) the pay is lousy, but the tips are enormous. Uh, but I'm bummed. Yeah. All I thought right. it was going to have something about peanuts in it, but it didn't. <laughs> uh, here, uh, this is this is speaking of peanuts for this next question. <laughs> if you get it wrong, by the way, you've got to tell me some sort of embarrassing story. Doesn't have to be oh, a stage okay. story. It can be a you know story with kids. It could be anything. Oh, so, okay, okay, yep, got one. Circus people are notoriously superstitious. You mentioned peanuts. Apparently, eating peanuts backstage at the circus is a big no-no. Uh, whistling is bad luck. Wearing a green costume is bad luck in the circus world. Which one of these three is thought to bring circus people good luck? A, keeping the hair from an elephant's tail in your pocket. B, rubbing the lion's mane before the show starts. Or C, drinking gin. Ooh, okay. Um, let's see. These are all, these are all good. Uh, keeping the elephant's hair in the pocket. I mean, that feels like it's likely because it's, you know, it's like a rabbit's foot, right? So sure. I, that seems likely. Sure. Um, rubbing a lion's mane. Uh, I mean, it wasn't wasn't good luck for Siegfried and Roy, so I don't know about that one. Oh. <laughs> Too soon. Is it? How, what's the... No, that's been at least 10 years on that one. They're both no uh, longer living, so... No, I know. Um, and then the drinking gin... I mean, that just seems like something they were. They were doing anyway. <laughs> they were doing anyway. Yeah. I mean, although maybe they were like, no, this is for good luck. Trust me. This is, this is rationalizing drinking. Sure. It's just to make the show run well. I'm going to go with the elephant's tail. Okay. The answer is A, keeping the hair from an elephant's tail in your pocket is good luck in the circus world. Um, wonderful job. You're two for two. Killing it, Lisa Berry. I can tell an embarrassing story still if you want me to, because I, I had one in mind. I will. Let me tell you mine real quick. This is something I told on Facebook uh, yesterday or, or the other day that I have not told on the podcast. My wife loves swans. Okay. Um, and she asked oh. me, she said, you, you read this? Did you see this? It was insanely <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, she goes, uh, I want to know, like, where are there swans around here? Are there swans in Ohio? I was like, yeah, they're everywhere. You just have to know like kind of where to look. I was like, I feel like I've been seeing one, like I've been driving by a pond with one. And then a couple of days later, I drive down this road and there's like an apartment building and then their little holding pond behind the apartment building had a swan and a fountain. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So next time we're in the car, I'm like, I got to show you something. I, I kept it a secret. I was like so excited. I was like, I got to show you something. <laughs> and then I drove to it and I was like, let's get out of the car. And we drove, we, we like parked in the parking lot of the apartment buildings and walked like behind the apartment buildings, like, you know, between two buildings. And I was like, There it is. And I looked at it and it was a plastic decoy swan. (laughs) (laughs) I was so proud of myself. I know you were like, like, I I did this. I am husband of the year. (laughs) Ridiculous. Uh, But there are real swans in Columbus, I swear, because I have taken photos of them. You just have to. (laughs) 
<laughs> be able to tell the real from the fake ones. Yeah. And for people in Col- if you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you're looking for swans, I frequently find real swans at what we call Broadcast <laughs> Lake, um, which is off of 670 near Grandview, um, off of Dublin yep. Road. Yeah. So when I say we, I mean the birding community. I'm incredibly nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> the birding community calls it Broadcast Lake. Probably no one else. Oh, so wait, it's not actually called Broadcast Lake? I don't think so. It's it's <laughs> just where it's where uh, ABC6 Fox 28 is. And I think there, oh, there's a radio okay. station on that same strip of land there. And, and uh, the Watermark Building's back there. It's a whole... Like, yes, I used to... Yeah, I used to work in that area. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. Because yeah. I, I was going to say, I don't know where Broadcast Lake is. That's, but that's, that is not what it's actually I don't know if guy. people outside of... I, it was the first time I heard it was birders. So anyway, enough about birds. I want to hear your embarrassing story. Okay. So, I mean, it's, I don't know if you would call it an embarrassing story, but, uh, so my son is four Mm -hmm. and this was a little bit ago. So I think he's still three when this happened, but he, you know, so one of the things that we're doing, so it's not really embarrassing. So don't get too excited by the start of this, but we're teaching him, uh, you know, it's a really big thing now for parents. You teach them the correct names of like genitalia. You teach them to say penis. You teach them the word vagina so right. that, you know, it's, it, you're supposed to teach them the correct names. And then they go um, and that alone and they use the not some, correct names. Exactly. Right. Uh, you know, and that alone creates some funny moments because like you have not lived until you've been at a restaurant and your three-year-old son yells, hey, mom, my testicles are sticking. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> I have, I've learned a lot about how frequently testicles stick. I did not know that until I had my son. Yeah. But yeah. He's also he's in a a why phase right now where he asks a lot of questions and he asks questions sometimes when I'm like on like I'm driving him to or from daycare and especially when I'm on the way from daycare driving home like I've worked all day I'm exhausted I'm mentally exhausted I like don't have the mental ability to answer all of his questions as thoroughly as I would like so sometimes I sometimes I'll say something like Ed that sounds like a dad question let's wait until we get home and you can ask that I don't have the ability to answer it right now so Lincoln was asking or my son was asking me how he'd like said what makes a car run as we were driving home. And I said, Oh, the engine. And he said, well, how does the engine work? And I realized I don't know. And (laughs) I was like, I don't have time to really think about this. I was like, that sounds like a dad question. And he said, do you not know because you have a vagina? I was like, no, (gasps) that is not why. I do not know. You're raising an incel. (laughs) I know. I was like, we got to talk about this. Unbelievable. Have you been listening to Ben Shapiro podcasts, Lincoln? (laughs) What are they teaching you in that daycare I'm sending? By the way, if you want him to use a um, a slang jargon for the sticking testicles, uh, I've heard that called a bat wing, which (laughs) I really enjoy. (laughs) Maybe uh, I'll talk to I'll talk to my husband. We'll see if we want to introduce that one. Yeah, that's a (laughs) choice. You know, that's a choice that that only the parents can make. Um, Right. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. yeah. That's uh, the the Hilliard uh, School District calls that parents choice. Um, the people that are suing the Hilliard <laughs> yeah. School District, I should say. All right. Uh-huh. So let's move on for question three. We're going to play for a sticker. This is an Internet says it's true sticker. These are sticky and they're square. Um, and I here- think this is my third time and I've never won one. Oh, no. Well, you're two for two. So like things are going well so far. Here this is, is this is the best I've ever done. <laughs> this this one's another. These are all hard. There's no way. These are all fun little things I discovered while I was researching. Um, and this one. Well, okay, we'll talk about it after. Grady Styles Jr. was better known for his name in the circus freak show Lobster Boy. He had ectrodactyly, a genetic condition that forced his hands into the shape of claws. He was born without legs. Which one of these is a true story 
about Grady Stiles Jr. A. He was hired as the lion, lion tamer for the circus, but he was fired because it was unsafe for his wheelchair to be in the ring with the lion. B. He claimed he could communicate with the elephants. Or C. He shot and killed his daughter's fiance for calling him a freak. Oh my goodness. I mean, oh boy, this, this sounds like an also a sad story. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, just because I, the, the last one just sounds so sad. I think that's, I think it's the real one. You've got a sticker after yeah. three times on the show. Uh, yes. I feel bad celebrating after what sounds like a really Seriously. sad story, but I'm so, excited about the sticker. As soon as I read this, I have decided this is going to be an episode um, because it's not just the, the, his whole life there. So, so this guy was an abusive alcoholic. He beat his wife and it was not a happy family. And his oldest daughter, who was only 15 at the time, uh, was dating an 18 year old kid. This was 1978. So this wasn't like. You know, this isn't the like the 20s. Yeah. Where things were so um, he shot and killed her husband to be on the eve of the wedding. Um, yeah. And, and he had been he had the guy had called him a freak. Um, so and and what's really interesting. And, and when I do this episode, you'll hear all about this. Um, his wife, Grady's wife. Hired someone to kill him and he to was kill Grady. to kill Grady and Grady was killed by a hitman. Um, oh, so she successfully hired someone to kill him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically a life of just being abused. And uh, and Grady's <laughs> son uh, and daughter are still alive, I believe. Um, Donna. Was oh, yeah. I mean, I guess daughter. 78. They would be. Yeah. Probably. And the son. So this was Grady was like a third or fourth generation um, person with electrodactyly, this condition. So his. His dad and grandfather, and I believe great grandfather had this. He was the fourth one and his son has it and is still alive. And his son still has this, you know, thing. And I don't know if his son Ow. does any circus performing or anything, but there is a Grady Styles the third. Um, oh, so I've never even heard of that. And yeah, yeah, it's interesting. A- I first heard about this guy because he was on the cover of the um, of one of my favorite albums when I was in high school. Freak by uh, a freak show by um, Silverchair. Grunge, oh, okay. band of a bunch of teenagers. You're three yeah. for three. You're killing it. Uh, question four. For this question, we're playing for doing the dishes. So okay. if you get it wrong, you've got, immediately got to go do the dishes when we're done. If you get it right, I'll go do mine. But I okay. don't have any because I did them after um, the other day. So I think like maybe I'll do dishes, <laughs> like I'll make some dishes and then I'll do them. Right. So, yeah. Because yeah. you have to, you still have to, the spirit of the of the consequence. Yeah. And like, you know, if I was a really good husband, I would be like, oh, I'll go clean something else instead. But um, that's yeah. where this is limited to dishes and dishes only. So, uh, okay, here you go. Question four, which one of these was an actual sideshow act? I made the other two up. Okay. One of these is real. A, the ham sandwich fiend. B, the dope fiend. Or C, the cigarette fiend. <laughs> Okay, I I can't even think of what a ham sandwich fiend would be. I, I mean, I guess what are any I mean, of I these? Guess I, <laughs> <laughs> we know what a dope fiend is, but one of these is right, a sideshow right. act. Is a sideshow act? Okay, so I mean, okay, I so like the dope fiend. I, I know what a dope fiend would be. I'm oh, trying to think of like way, in a side. In, 
if it helps, this was in the 1930s. 1930s. Okay. So I, I, I don't even, did, were they, when did they, when did people start using the word dope? Were they using the word dope in the 1930s? I don't know. The cigarette themed. I mean, I feel like maybe there, yeah, maybe there could be like a sideshow act where they were like, look at this. Although I think they thought cigarettes in the 1930s, didn't they think cigarettes were like healthy? Okay. I think I'm going to say, I think I'm going to say dope themed. And I think it was like, you know, just like a, they just put somebody out there and they were like, here's a, I'm going to say dope themed. I'm going to say be dope themed. The answer. Cigarette fiend. Um, so Peter Robinson was the most famous cigarette fiend act. And oftentimes the cigarette fiend was also the skinny man or the skeleton man, which was the case with Peter Robinson. Uh, he had like atrophied legs and stuff. His exhibit usually consisted of him just lounging on a sofa, inhaling cigarettes. And because and here's why it was a freak show thing. Um, okay, apparently yeah. for the late 1800s and early 1900s. Uh, this just sitting and smoking one cigarette after another was bizarre and obscene because cigarettes were an uh, item of luxury. They were only uh, smoked during leisure time, not all the uh, time, and not chain smoking. No one chain smoked. Um, it was just kind of yeah. like a, you'd smoke one, which is really strange, which I guess maybe it's before they started putting like, you know, this addictive nicotine type stuff into the tobacco <laughs> or whatever. Um, so in the 1930s, it was reported that the cigarette fiend earned $25 a week for his work in the freak shows. And that was, I think it was like 35 grand a year or something, they, whatever it was, he was, oh. he, that's not, 25 a week. Isn't 35 grand a year. I don't oh, know. Where I, I thought you're saying it was like the equivalent of Maybe 35 it is. grand a year. Whatever, whatever it is, they said it was the same as like what most people made in the, in the country at that time. So wow. this guy just sat just and chain smoked for in front of a crowd. Yeah. Who knew? So I okay. Yeah. I guess yeah, that makes sense. I guess if it was seen as an as an object of luxury, but you're right, they must have they must have been before they started. Not like that there was ever a time cigarettes were good, but it must have been before they started putting Sure. All that, yeah. There was a um very famous magician who is no longer with us, but uh his name is this is worth Googling, Tom Mullica, M-U-L-L-I-C-A. Um, who made his name in magic for his cigarette act. He was a great magician. Um, he also impersonated Red Skelton, who was, he was really good at that because he had the same face, basically. But this guy could contort his face while he did this act where it appeared as if he was just lighting cigarettes and eating them. And he's just tossing them in his mouth throughout. So like 10, 20 cigarettes. He's got a whole pack of cigarettes in his mouth. And then... Out of nowhere, he would just smile and all these cigarettes would come out in his smile um, lit. Uh, it's it's an incredible act. It's worth Googling. Um, you know, ask Tom Eric Mullica. Tate about Tom Mullica. Yeah. So you're three for four, doing very well. This next one, Lisa, is for all the marbles. And if you get this wrong, I'm going to ban you from the podcast. You won't be asked on for a fourth time. What oh, no, is okay. something that we do now? That people will look at in 400 years and say, what the hell were they thinking? What? So Say that one more time. Sure. You know, I'm looking at this idea of sideshows and, and freak shows in general. And, you know, and we can even look at last week's episode, which was about the fact that we thought vampires were real. And so we stuck a brick in some, I say we, the Venetians, <laughs> stuck a brick in someone's skull so that they couldn't bite their shroud and become a vampire. We do stupid stuff, and then we don't know about it for hundreds of years. So this is an open-ended question to you. What is something that we do now that people in 400 years are going to look back and say, what were they thinking? 
Oh gosh. Okay. That's a good one. Um, sometimes I feel, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I do feel like people are going to in like 400 years are going to look back and be like, why were you guys all holding like devices that like, I feel like we all have cell phones on us all the time. And in 400 years, they're going to be like, well, no wonder you all like had all of these issues because you were just holding this electronic device to your face constantly all of the time. Interesting. Sometimes I think. So you think there will be sort of a um, awakening, like a great awakening of away from technology? Or do you think it'll be because it'll be implanted? Do you think it'll be implanted in our in our heads? Yeah, by yeah, by that time it'll just be we'll be like telecommunicating with everybody all of the time. Yeah, well that's that's a good answer. That's a right answer. We'll call it a a right answer, um, which means you're you're welcome back. I think that uh, I was asking my friend this earlier, and what I said was there it'll have something to do with cancer. Like, will it'll be painfully obvious that we are all doing something that is very clearly giving us cancer. And it could be the same. Yeah. It could be a cell phone. It could be the, the cell phones. I know that's kind of what I brains. think is I feel like they're gonna, I don't know. They're going to be like, why were you just like walking around with these all the time? Or even like, I mean, I do think not in 400 years, I think in even just like 20 years, honestly, I think people are going to look back at people like tanning. Oh, yeah. And be like, absolutely. why did anybody ever do that? Like, that is just so clearly bad for you. Yeah, I think it's probably most likely to be the stuff we're eating, right? Like, there's got to be something very common, like like fried foods or processed foods that we're eating that's giving us cancer. And a lot of people already think this. Um, yeah. But it'll be like, you know, where all the evidence points to that. And there will be another 20 years of like right wing Republicans saying, you can't tell me what to eat. This is, yeah. you know, a myth. It's fine. And just kind of like what we're looking at with climate change yeah. and, you know, it'll be a thing yeah. where like, it'll be don't look up the, the you know, where yeah. everyone. Well, just and then I it. feel like we'll go through that. And then I don't know. Did you see this about the the sodas? Right. Like Democrats tried to ban like super large size sodas in New York City and it didn't pass. And then like t- 10 years later, Republicans got upset because they were like, why didn't you warn us how bad big sodas were? <laughs> <laughs> that was an episode of Parks and Rec, uh, too, where oh, right. uh, they yeah, tried like to get rid of the Sweetums 64 ounce soda or the Super Plots no, Burger like or whatever. Based on something that re- like, I think then like, I don't know, I think it was real in yeah. New York City. They do a lot of stuff that that is based on real stuff because uh, Sweetums <laughs> talks about in that episode, uh, they talk about you know, this is our, our worst PR since the, or something like there was a giant vat of molasses that, that exploded and caused a very slow moving wave. And that's a real thing that happened. One of my first episodes was about really? the Boston molasses flood. Yeah, it was a, it was a real thing. Um, and I, I think they do a lot of inside jokes like that, but in any case, uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show, Lisa, where can people learn about your comedy and where can people learn about the shows that you produce? Yes. So um, people can follow me at Barry227 on Instagram or, you know, the all of the shows that I produce with CBUS Comedy. So that will be anything that CBUS Comedy, but also any shows I do, you know, outside of CBUS Comedy or anything I'm plugging. But CBUS Comedy, um, where I'm one of the producers, they can follow CBUS Comedy on Instagram or Facebook and find out about all of our shows. You know, like you said, we have a show at the station in Hilliard the last Thursday of every month, but we also produce shows at other places, Natalie's, Cafe Kerouac, different places around the city. Um, and we bring in a lot of really cool people. We've Obviously, we've had you, Michael, on the show, but we bring in people not just from Columbus, but from all over the country and they're Absolutely. great shows. Very good. Go check those out. Thank you once again, Lisa. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 
Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much to my friend Lisa Berry for being my guest. Once again, if you want to learn more about this, look up the book True Vine by Beth Macy. Here's some audio from an actual kid from Mars. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under fair use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts. And you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent.